Welcome to Living Free Today, a ministry of Cornerstone Fellowship in San Lorenzo, California. These podcasts are the weekly sermons of Dr. Michael L. Wilson. Please open your Bibles to the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians is kind of in the middle of the New Testament. 1 Corinthians starting in chapter 15. Now Paul, the Apostle Paul, wrote the book of 1 and 2 Corinthians. And he did so to answer some questions after he visited there and helped them plant churches. Now, back in the day, before I was a pastor, I worked in high-tech. And a lot of high-tech people are very worldly, very me-first, as they understand the great impact they can have on society with their technology. But back in the day, I made it no secret that I was a Christian. I even kept a Bible on my desk in my cubicle. And one day, a co-worker of mine came up to me and he said he wanted the elevator pitch of Christianity. He said I, he knows that I went to church and all that. And he just wanted to know the short version, the elevator pitch, as it were, of Christianity. And so I said... Jesus Christ died for your sins and rose on the third day. And he stood there and he said, and? And I said, that's it. He said, aren't you going to try to convince me that the Bible is true? I said, nope. I said, you want to know the basis, the foundation, the point of Christianity? It is that Jesus Christ died for your sins and rose on the third day. Now there's all sorts of accoutrements and extra theology and doctrine around that of who Jesus Christ was and all that. But the point of Christianity, what I call myself a Christian, and you say you're a Christian, and I'll say, what do you believe? And if you say Jesus Christ died for my sins and rose on the third day, then hey, you're in, you're good, if you truly believe that, because that is the central teaching. I can argue about the Bible's historical veracity, but if I do not believe in the resurrection, if I do not believe of the factual historical events of the first Easter, then this book is just stories. And Paul's point in 1 Corinthians 15 is that he went and he planted the church and he taught them about the resurrection of Jesus Christ and they certainly believed it. Many people in Corinth got saved, repented of their sins, and the church grew while Paul was away. Yet word reached him that, yeah, they believed with all their hearts that Jesus Christ died for their sins and rose again on the third day, but they had no understanding and no belief that they also would be resurrected in the last day. And so Paul is writing the last part of 1 Corinthians to say, Christ was just the first fruits. Christ was just the first example. 
You want to know how resurrection is going to happen? You look at Jesus Christ. You want to look at the truth of resurrection? You look at Jesus Christ. And he does so by building a case. Paul being a very, oh, almost lawyerly thinking in how he writes some of the books of the New Testament. He builds a case and he calls what many commentators call witnesses for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The word witness, the word statement, the word testimony, these are all used to say what, G, what uh, Paul calls to prove the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, as I said, is foundational. If you read American history, you may have heard of a guy named John Locke, very involved in forming the thoughts of the United States. And he said way back then, our Savior's resurrection is truly of great importance in Christianity, so great that his being or not being the Messiah stands or falls on it. No resurrection, no Christianity. No resurrection and Jesus Christ is a liar. No resurrection. And we are, as the Bible says, the most hopeless of people because we are wasting our time. So how does Paul go through and call his witnesses to testify about Jesus Christ? Starts in verses 1 and 2. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the God gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. He says, I would remind you, this is not new, this is not something that Paul just picked up and, and decided to throw at the Corinthians. It is a reminder when Paul was in Corinth and he was there planting churches, he was planting them on the basis of the gospel, of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so this is a reminder. This is something they know. This is something that most Christians would, would know if we talk about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But is it central to our belief? And so... If you look at how the world is put together today, you have major, they say five major religions, of which Christianity and Judaism is one of them. When you look at the truth and the gospel of Jesus Christ in that simple way of Jesus Christ died for your sins and rose on the third day, that his strength of that is that that is the exact same gospel that, that was preached 2,000 years ago. That is the exact same gospel that has been preached every Sunday for 2,000 years. It doesn't change. It hasn't changed. If Paul was here today and he knew English, I would say these things and he would nod his head and he would say amen because our message has not changed. There has been accusations that of course the Bible has been rewritten by this sort of group or that sort of group to promote this political agenda or not. But any 
looking at the scriptures, at the history of scriptures, of the very old copies we have, there's been no change. There has been no modification of the message. What is taught today in churches all across America is the same message, is the same truth, is the same resurrection that has been taught for 2,000 years. Interestingly enough, the Bible is the only book in the history of the world that every single government has made a law against or to control at one time or another, and yet it is still the number one seller. You look at the number of Bibles sold or given away or printed or put on your phone or however Bibles come today, and it is greater than all the other books combined. There are more Bibles on earth today than any other book. And that says something. We can't say, well, that's absolute proof that Christianity is true. But no, but it's a peg in the board. I mean, it's something to look at. You can say, I can say that there are Millions, millions of little religions that popped up here and there that we don't even know the name of them because the, the person who founded it died and all their followers died. That People come up with religious ideas all the time and create a little cult here or a little group there and sometimes they all commit suicide and it makes it to the news, but most of the time it just disappears. They just fade away. Christianity has not. In fact, it has grown and is growing. We have a little bit of church attendance problem in the United States, but Christianity as a global religion is growing, and that's something we can point to and say, ah, that's kind of an indication it's probably true, because it's the same for the last 2,000 years. And then he talks about where he gets this from in verses 3 and 4. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scripture, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scripture. And so Paul is saying, where does he get it? The word delivered means delivered by special messenger. Sometimes you'll... You'll get a package or a letter, and you got to go to the post office, and you got to show your ID, and you got to sign for it. It's a very, you know, special sort of thing. They got to make sure only the right person gets it. That's kind of what he's saying when he uses the word delivered, is that this is super valuable, that this is something of great importance, and he's delivering it, he's presenting it with care, he's presenting it. Um, in a special delivery sort of way. And then he says that Christ died according to the Scriptures. He was buried and raised according to the Scriptures. When Paul is writing this, what are the Scriptures? The Scriptures are Genesis through Malachi. New Testament is just being written. Several of the books have not been written yet. Several of the Gospels are only one copy that are in a church somewhere. The New Testament is very early here. Paul does not have a library 
of New Testament books that he's getting this from, he figured out who Jesus Christ is from the Old Testament. And you can. There are many books that are written about the 270-some-odd uh, direct revelations of prophecies that are fulfilled by Jesus Christ on the cross, Isaiah 53 being a major one describing crucifixion before it was even invented. And so Paul is saying that this is God's plan, that this is something that God put together for our salvation and the resurrection of Jesus Christ was not correcting a mistake. It was something that was built into the system way back. Then he goes into eyewitness testimony. He starts in verse 5, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Cephas is an Aramaic word. It means rock. And so a lot of people will look at this and say, well, the only person in the Bible that Jesus ever called rock was Peter. So we think it's Peter. Uh, if it isn't Peter, well, we'll find that out when we get to heaven. But the idea that Jesus appeared to somebody who denied him. Jesus appeared to somebody who, while Jesus was being tried, denied him that he ever know, knew him. The cock crowed and he ran into the woods. And so Jesus appeared to him somehow, in some way. We don't have this in Scripture. But this is something that has weight to it. Then he appeared to the twelve. The 12 is like a nickname. At this point in time, there's only 11 because Judas had hung himself and they haven't replaced him yet. But the group is still called the 12, like a, like a nickname. And so all the disciples, including Peter, all the disciples, all the apostles saw Jesus. It says, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. So this is a group of people that you would know if you lived during that time. You would be, you know, in the coffee shop and somebody was one of those 500 who saw Jesus at one time. People have said, oh, well, this is, you know, some sort of delusion, but nobody's been able to explain how or replicate it today. You know, you have David Copperfield making the Statue of Liberty disappear and things like that, but that's a trick to have Jesus walk amongst you and to do a level of teaching to 500 people at one time where they're all elbowing each other and pitching each other and realizing that it's not a dream, that it's real, and then these people were able to go out and tell people that they have seen the risen Savior. Sir Edward Clark, who wrote about the Bible, said, As a lawyer, I have made a prolonged study of the evidence of the events of the first Easter day. For me, the evidence is conclusive. And over and over again in the high court, I have secured a verdict on evidence not nearly so compelling. Inference follows on evidence, and a truthful witness is all, always artless and disdains effect. The gospel's evidence for the resurrection is of this class, 
As a lawyer, I accept it unreservedly as the testimony of truthful men to facts they were unable to substantiate. So we understand that the apostles didn't know how Jesus pulled it off, that this was, they couldn't believe their eyes, that it is an amazing thing, that it is something that defies reality. It's a miracle for Jesus to raise from the dead, but they accept it as true and they lay it out as true. They present it as true. They preach it as true. There is no scientific analysis of the resurrection. Jesus died for your sins and rose again on the third day. And when he rose, he spent 40 days walking the earth, teaching people, laying out the plans for his church, and all these people saw him. And at that time, you could interview people. You, you would know these people. And you would know that they're not crazy and they're not, you know, you know, flying off the handle with those sorts of things. These are people that you would know. And if we talk to those today who have been a Christian for any particular time, we are sure, absolutely, in the work and the life of Jesus Christ, I believe more than anything else that Jesus Christ died for my sins and rose on the third day. The truth that we have today, even though it's built in belief, it's built in faith, I am saved by faith, remember, not by works, I believe in what Jesus did. I believe this story. I believe what it says in Scripture. And from that, I gain salvation. I gain the righteousness of Christ. Then at the end, it says, Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. We, there are two Jameses in the New Testament. There's James and John, the son of Zebedee, the fisherman. Both of those were apostles. And so we don't think it was that James. We think it was James, the half-brother of Jesus. The half-brother of Jesus, that when Jesus was starting his ministry, James and the other brothers came to him and said, give up this pipe dream, time to come home. He didn't start out as a believer. He started out as somebody who wanted to shut down what Jesus was doing because it looked bad for the family. But now you have James, the half-brother of Jesus, converted. And my guess is seeing his risen brother, because he knew Jesus, you know, and he died, to see him walking through the door probably had a lot to do with his conversion. The half-brother of Jesus was the first of the apostles to be martyred by the government he was run through by a sword. Then Paul talks about himself in verses 8 through 10. Last of all, as to one untimely born, the word untimely born means miscarriaged. He doesn't believe or doesn't see his early life at persecuting the church as anything of value, of anything of worth. He was on his way to Damascus 
to persecute the church when Jesus appeared to him, knocked him to the ground, and converted him into Christianity to be the missionary to the Gentiles. He says he's unworthy to be called because he persecuted the church, but by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of those, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is within me. We can look at the life of Paul, the change in his life, and we can say there has to be something real here. It has to be true. He has to have really seen the risen Christ on the road to Damascus because the chain, change is so radical. He then ends by saying, whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believe. And what he's saying is, it doesn't matter who preaches the gospel. It doesn't matter who stands up and says, Jesus Christ died for your sins and rose on the third day. The message is true. The messenger is inconsequential to the final accounting. When we're all in heaven, I will be there with you amongst those saved by grace because that's how all of us are saved. We are saved by faith through grace because Jesus Christ died for your sins and rose again on the third day. Let us pray. Lord God Almighty, we praise you that the resurrection is true, that in fact, 2,000 years ago, you died for our sins and rose again on the third day. I pray that you will continue to call and put preachers in pulpits who will preach with conviction the fact that Jesus Christ died for our sins and rose again on the third day. Lord, we praise you for that. And as your blessing on the remainder of the day, we ask this through the blood of Christ. Amen. Cornerstone Fellowship is located at 180 Llewelling Boulevard, San Lorenzo, California. Our Sunday morning service is at 1045 a.m. Our website is livingfreetoday.org and our phone number is 510-278-2622. May God continue to bless you as you serve your King. God bless you.